I always say we use the tacos as a Trojan horse to understand communities, people, and issues. And so that's really kind of at the crux of what a taco journalist does. You dig deeper and you get to know the people that are making the food. You get to know their story. You get to know where that food comes from. And then you also get to know how that food changes. You know, it evolves. You know, we start with the taco, but where does it lead to? And we've explored things like, you know, gentrification to immigration, just different issues that are really like in tune and connected, not only to the culture, but to the food itself. I always say the tacos taste better when you know the story. You're listening to The Follow, a multicultural podcast from creative agency Sanders Wingo, where we talk to up-and-coming BIPOC creators, movement makers, and thought leaders who we follow. These are influencers who you might not know about, but we think you should. We talk to them about their work, worldview, and how they use their platform. But we also cover race, identity, and all things culture in a format designed to help us all get smarter about culture. If you like the show, please do us a huge favor and subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. It boosts the show's visibility so other people can find and enjoy it as well. In this episode, we speak to Mando Rayo, a digital storyteller and self-proclaimed taco journalist who produces content that strives to paint an inclusive, accurate portrait of America. His latest work is the Loretto Taco Company's Made Right Here road trip as he explores his favorite tacos in some of the most iconic cities in the Lone Star State. We discuss how Mondo's Latinx heritage informs his work, how tacos can help us understand different communities, and how one of the organizations he co-founded helps to create racially diverse nonprofit boards. Hosting this conversation is Leslie Wingo, CEO at Sanders Wingo. Now, here's Leslie. Let's do it. Let's do it. So we're going to start off. We'll make it easy and fun. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, I didn't know you at all. Okay, sure. Well, I'm Mando Rayo. I'm a taco journalist. I scour the internet and taquerias to find the best, the tastiest tacos you've ever had. Not only across Texas, but the United States. And I've written a few books on tacos, had some shows on PBS and El Rey Network. And I do a lot of branded content as well. And just connecting with culture, you know, through food. Cool. Okay. So what exactly is a taco journalist? Because when I told my son about this and his favorite food is tacos, <laughs> he was like, what is a taco journalist? So what is a taco journalist? Well, you know, it's interesting because when I started writing, it was about 15 years ago, I didn't really see myself reflected or my community reflected or my food reflected in real and honest ways. And so so basically, we've created our own titles. <laughs> that's, that's the positive side of uh, being an entrepreneur, I guess, is you can create your own. <laughs> and so, so for me, you know, a taco journalist is a person that, you know, goes deep into, and obviously it's a niche and really focuses in on a specific type of food. But it also goes deep into the layers of what does that mean? You know, so we, I always say we use the tacos as a Trojan horse to understand communities, people, and, and issues. And so that's really kind of at the crux of 
what a taco journalist does. You know, you dig deeper, you know, you know, beyond the filter, the Instagram filter, and you get to know the people that are making the food. You get to know their story. You get to know where that food comes from. And, and then you also get to know how that food changes, you know, it evolves. And so for me, it's really about understanding, you know, we start with the taco, but w- where does it lead to? And we've explored things like, you know, gentrification to immigration, just different issues that, that are really like in tune and connected, not only to the culture, but to the food itself. And a lot of people, you know, once you take the time to understand that, you know, like I always say, the tacos taste better when you know the story. Agreed. And so <laughs> on one of your podcasts, and we'll jump to this later, but one of your podcasts, you talk about the disco in El Paso yeah. and yes. the influence of the railroad and Chinese culture. I'm like, I had no idea, but it makes perfect sense. Right. So when I go back home, my intention is because of your podcast is to try different restaurants that I yep. haven't been to before, but through the lens of a different perspective of what I grew up thinking a taco was, right? And so yeah, I'm very exactly. excited about it. The flavor, po- yeah. I'm very excited. Oh yeah, you know, these stories are, you know, they're out there and, and sometimes, you know, so that's, that's a, I think, a big difference. You know, when you look at food writing, it's, you know, I mean, maybe nowadays people are, you know, yeah. bunny ears woke. <laughs> yeah. so they 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 like they go now deeper which is nice it's really great to see but you know these are the stories that a lot of are the stories that we grew up with and so yeah. we know them and for me as a taco journalist to really kind of start to dig and peel away those layers of like oh what do Chinese railroad immigrants have to do with Mexican farming and, and this dish called the discada, you know, where, where do those cultures kind of merge, if you will? And so, so that's kind of, that's the approach that we take where, you know, you, what you may think of what this dish is, it may be a little bit different, you know, once we kind of start, start peeling away those layers, for sure. So let me ask you this. Can you recite the Pledge of Allegiance to the taco stand? Oh, my God. I haven't done it in a while, <laughs> but let's see. I pledge allegiance to the taco stands of the United Tacos of America and to the taqueros and abuelas of this great land, one nation under tortillas with limones and salsas for all. Muy oh, bien. I got it. I got it. Well done. Well Still done. Got it. Still got it. <laughs> so, okay. So you told me how you became a taco journalist. How did your show start? Like, where did this, yeah. where did this idea come about to start this whole thing? Yeah, yeah. For like sure. your aha, so to speak. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, it's nuts because the way I got started was back in the day when people were blogging, <laughs> uh, way before Yelp, you know, I started, you know, talking about some of these issues and, and understanding, like, if you're going to go into this neighborhood, you have to go to these places, but you also have to honor that neighborhood in this way. And so from the get-go, that's always been my approach because I've always been a bit of a grassroots type of, uh, you know, community builder type of person. And so I want to make sure that people are connected to not only the food, the people that are making it, but the issues. And so with that, I actually came, our books, we wrote Austin Breakfast Tacos, The Tacos of Texas, and 
you know, we've all, I've always done, you know, media, you know, I've always, mm -hmm. you know, dabbled with, you know, videos and obviously photos and whatnot, storytelling through, through those lenses. Yeah. I mean, I was like, let's do this. You know, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like uh, I, I applied for a, a grant through PBS and, and we got it. And I was like, and I had to Google like, what is a treatment? <laughs> Which basically like, you know, it's like, what is the, the main crux of, of the story that for a TV show or a, or a digital show and everything. Then the, the first run, we just kind of put all, all the, the eggs in, in one basket. Then we kind of like slow down, you know, kind of pause and just say, okay, we're going to focus on these certain things. Uh, just to make sure the food gets that call out and you know and understand the region versus because you can get tacos anywhere, to be honest, you know, here in the United States, you can get across Texas, you can get tacos anywhere, all kinds of tacos, but certain cities, certain regions are known for certain styles of tacos. So yeah, so it kind of started like that. And then we're like, we did uh, our first uh, season with, um, with PBS and it's on YouTube now. You can actually, it's based on, you know, my book is called The Tacos of Texas. And then after that, El Rey Network reached out to us and they said, we want to do a national show. I'm like, let's do it. <laughs> never, <laughs> never, yeah, always say yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let me, I, and let me ask you this, and it's a controversial question mm -hmm. and it's, it's completely unfair. What is your favorite uh, taco? Like style or place? Yes. Oh, <laughs> I, I was listening to you. Always say yes. So yes. Yes, yes, very good. So I'll give you two. Uh, I'll let you pick two. Okay, that sounds good. Well, definitely my uh, my favorite taco is uh, taco al pastor. You know, because it's kind of like at the crux. It's like I don't know. It's like quintessential, mm -hmm. like you know, Mexican taco. You know, for me. And so it has the, the right spices and the flavors, the sazones, and, you know, you can eat them standing up. And then with, with a piña, that's just makes it, you know, a little bit of salsita that's like with some limon. That's like, oh, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, although I am a, I, I make a mean uh, uh, carnitas, like I'm a home cook too, you know? I know, I know. Yeah, so I make a pretty mean uh, citrus carnitas that comes out really, really nice. And um, but I, I definitely the Al Pastor is my favorite. Gosh, you know, as far as like places, I've been to you know, L.A. and Chicago and and New York and the Valley here in Texas and Houston. Obviously, I live in Austin, and there's just so many places, you know, that it all depends on you know, kind of my style. I mean, I do love a good brisket taco from Valentina's mm -hmm. and, you know, so that's awesome. Teddy's Red Tacos, Birria, you know, getting on that Birria train. Teddy's Red Tacos in LA, Carnitas Uruapan in Pilsen in Chicago. There's just so many, you know. <laughs> well, what how about, about the, you know, I give you three. How about there? <laughs> okay, okay. And what would your grandmother think of your choices? Oh, uh, I think she would like it. She would like it. She would okay. be like, as long as you can right. make it yourself. Well done. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well and done. I can. I, and I can. <laughs> That's the difference. I'm not just like, a, you know, like some food writer. 
I, uh-huh. I actually, I'm a home cook. And so I'm always dabbling in the kitchen. So I love it. So let me ask you a question because you, you refer to, you refer to your organization with we. So I want to make sure I, I understand how many things you are involved with you as an entrepreneur, YouTube podcast, identity productions. Tell me all about it. Yeah. Yeah. So the Royal We. <laughs> the Royal We. <laughs> so, so I have a partner. Uh, we have uh, Identity Productions, which is the, the production company that we house everything under, whether it's branded content or new shows that we're pitching and developing. My, my partner is Dennis Burnett, and we've been working together for like, I don't know, maybe seven years. And we really focus on stories for BIPOC communities allow them, uh, give them the kind of a, a platform to share their own stories in their own ways, kind of like how, how I was afforded these opportunities. And so ident- the, the we is identity productions, for sure. Ideally, like my, my dream is for this to become its own network, you know? So we do that. Everything before then, like it was kind of like piecemealed, but now it's all under wrapped under that umbrella. And we have a few other shows uh, that we have. We have Ape that really focuses on um, Asian recipes and cooking, uh, hacks and cheats. And then we have uh, Tex-Mix Queen. Those are on, on our YouTube page. Uh, we're developing uh, some more as well. And then we do our branded content as well. So we have like, we work with 7-Eleven and, and Laredo Taco Company. We have a new series out called Mood Red Here. So that's also under Identity Productions. And then a couple of other things that I dabble, you know, my book, my writing, it's just like, it's just mando, you know? So I'm just like, (laughs) yeah. So, and then, you know, I also co-founded the New Philanthropist in Austin, Texas, where we try to address, you know, the racial inequities at the leadership level at the board and get more representation from BIPOC communities at that level. But most of everything falls really under uh, identity productions. I'm a big fan of the new philanthropist and an alum. You're a a mentor. I am. And just so you know, the group that that y'all connected me with, even though the program, our portion of the program under new philanthropists has been completed, we're still talking. And so it's, it's great. And they're a great group of people who are very intentional about what they want to do and how they want to shape the future. So it's, it's been great. It's been great. When I do, when I talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, I want to create this, this world where it's not just a set aside or a month. It's yeah. this really big thing where we start talking about culture. And that, a lot of that is showing mm-hmm. up in this podcast. It was designed to be about culture and race and ethnicity. And I feel like all of these different layers play a big role in culture. So oh, in terms of, yeah, in terms of like race and identity, how do you, in ethnicity as well, how do you identify yourself? Uh, Latino, you know, at, at the core. I was born and raised in Texas, uh, Mexican-American, Chicano. I, I use, I, you know, it's interesting because I, I don't necessarily identify with Hispanic, uh, which I know that a lot of people in Texas do, but I'm just kind of, maybe it's my militant side uh, <laughs> but i like latino every now and then i use the latinx uh just to be more inclusive for sure but latino is definitely you know mexicano because of my heritage mm-hmm. and everything that i do and i just want to make sure it's represented well so i don't you know it's interesting because i, I run obviously you know we our production house 
it's called identity. Right. <laughs> so we right. want, we, yeah, yeah, we want, you know, and then that, that name, it's not like, it's not a pre, pre-described notion of, oh, this is what you are or whatever, but it's more of like, how do you identify? And I love that question because I feel like people that maybe don't understand, don't, they should just ask it. They should ask that question. How do you identify? How would you like to, for you to me, for me to call you or what have you? And so that's where we start, you know? Mm-hmm. So that way we can, we know that kind of where, where you're coming from. So, so that's where that identity comes from. And, and like I said, I use the, the different terms, definitely Latino, Mexicano, Mexican-American. And, uh, you know, I just want to make sure it's, it's represented well when it's personally, but also when I talk about or write about or produce content around different, you know, just different communities. And I just want to make sure that, you know, we have that inclusive approach around identity for sure. I did a presentation last week and I talked about Hispanic and a friend Mm -hmm. of mine from El Paso who is militant to use your words (laughs) said, you're like 25 years ago, he's like, Wingo, there's no country called Hispania. Why would would you call me Hispanic? And I think it's interesting that we like to, our brains want to group people into places and to quickly understand them. But by doing that, I think it eliminates, I shouldn't say eliminates, it removes the different, the amazing and beautiful cultures of people and ethnicity and yeah, they're, like they're full stories. It just gives you a snapshot. So I, I love yeah. this. But, you know, I think people want like the easy answer. Yes. Uh, they want to simplify it. Um, and no, they should pause and they should take time to learn what this means for whoever you're talking with. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. So how has your identity, how you, you know, this identity and identity, your, your company shaped your work? I mean, to be honest, I've always had, you know, no, okay, so I did go, I'm one of those kids that uh, grew up in a border town, you know, in El Paso, and I rejected my identity because of just different things, you know, oh, you don't speak Spanish in school, and, you know, you have to assimilate and, you know, get along type of thing. And then I would say, yeah, in my, you know, in my early 20s, I kind of rejected my identity. And I was like, well, I'm American, you know, whatever that means, mm-hmm. you know. And then I think part of that is like the white culture, like really taking that in and embedding it, embedding myself within that white culture. But then, you know, I started traveling, talking to different people. And I was like, really kind of going back to my roots, if you will. And really thinking about exploring that, you know, and learning from it. So since then, I've just been like, oh, identity is everything. It, identity is your food that you eat, the food you grew up with. Identity is how you interact with your community. Identity is how you interact with people from within your community and those outside of your community. And so how, how is that represented in a way that feels honest and true to you because sometimes you know we do get in that what's the term uh that um code switch yeah you know we we ended we end up doing code switch i wish we didn't have to code switch but it's kind of we still use it to make i think other people comfortable Mm -hmm. so that plays into that as well you know what i mean but everything that i do i mean 
I'm also kind of a, a bit of an open book. So like if you watch my shows, uh-huh. you read my writing, you see my posts or what have you, I mean, you're going to get this picture. And it's how I identify, whether it's Latino or, or really kind of broader community, bringing in the different cultures and, and POC and, and making sure we're in, in the right spaces. And if, if it's not calling it out, calling people out, calling people in, I'm all about that. It's everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Not just like with my kids, bang it in there. Like, identity, come on. <laughs> So my kids are half black and half Mexican American. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're also bilingual. So it's interesting to watch them experience culture and language and me yeah. try to keep up with what they're saying and what they're experiencing. I, I'll never be able to do it. I share that with you because I love that you've written a children's book. So can you tell me about yes. the children's book? Yes, yes. Well, you know, it's, inter- it's, it's called Vitamina T for Tacos. It's a book in Spanglish. So it's not a traditional book where Here's the English section and here's the Spanish section. We decided, my comadre and I, Suzanne, she's my co-author, Suzanne Garcia Mateus. She and I are friends and we've always, you know, we have children the same age and we've always talked about, oh, this is funny. We grew up, she grew up like in, uh, in California, but also in, in Brownsville. Mm-hmm. So we kind of connect a lot on the cultural nuances, you know? like a carne asada, you know, those kind of things. And w- that has different meanings. You know, we were like, yeah, why don't we just write, write a book, you know, a kid's book. It would be awesome to like explore what we grew up with and then expose that to children so they can connect with it in a way that like they can see themselves, you know, in a library setting, in a school setting. It's the way we speak in our homes and bringing that to, you know, in a book, right? Mm-hmm. We, did, we decided to go ahead and, and do this project and, and make it fun and engaging. So not only is it a, an alphabet book, it's a cultural guide, but it's also a taco dictionary. So if you don't know, like, you know, the different tacos, you're going to get, get some of that. If, you know, what goes, what good salsa goes in there, you're going to get some of that the cultural references, you know, if people like within the culture, you're going to like, ah, yeah, like there's a section, I think it was vitamina F, 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 Mm -hmm. for fajitas. Mm -hmm. And then I think we reference vitamina P2 or P2, Mm -hmm. but in Spanish, (laughs) P2 is farts. Yes. (laughs) So I think the kids get a get a a big kick out of that, you know, and and we partnered with a really, really great illustrator, uh, Mexicana from Veracruz. And she really kind of got, you know, the concept of what we're trying to do, you know, oh, here, Mm -hmm. I have it right here. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we want to make sure that like the kids, it's an inclusive kind of approach and picture. There's, you know, the intentionality around even skin tone is there, mm-hmm. the language, and even people that maybe aren't from the culture, they're going to learn something new mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, carne asada, isn't that just a taco? No, it's a cookout. It's a family gathering, you know? Oh, it's an experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're super just excited about it. And it's part of a series. So this is the first book just came out. We have two more coming out next year. Vitamina C for culture and Vitamina P for places. So, 
No, well, we might say we might include some of that. <laughs> so you brought up something else that's very interesting to me, and it's this idea of Spanglish. And mm-hmm. so I've talked, so I've talked to different people about Spanglish, and if you are in my husband's camp, you speak Spanish, you speak English, but yeah. Spanglish is not a thing. So he's very quick to to correct sure. in Spanish and English. Yeah. However, when I listen to the kids these days and I look at places in like Miami, even in El Paso and LA, oh, Chicago, yeah. Spanglish is becoming its own language of sorts. Yeah. And so I think it's this amazing way of culture coming together in a really different way. What, is your, what are your views on Spanglish? Oh, I mean, it, I grew up with it. It's interesting because Spanglish does, does get knocked down by institutions and academics and mm-hmm. and, tr- and I would say traditionalists, but it's an organic way language has evolved, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like food, like there's going to be, you know, like a different style depending on where you are, you know, the difference between Mexican food and Tex-Mex, you know, mm-hmm. Me- Tex-Mex is not Mexican and vice versa. And people don't understand that, you know what I mean? And so for me, it's about allowing the language to flourish because it was actually created out of necessity, mm-hmm. you know, an a- ability that was organically kind of grown or formed to communicate. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and it should be acknowledged because it doesn't just happen in English and Spanish. It happens in, you know, different other cultures, different other languages. And it's a way that I would say language evolves. I love it. So I'm going to switch gears for a second. And what is your favorite social platform to spread your work? And why is it your favorite? Yeah, definitely not TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Why not TikTok? I love, I love, hey, I love, I love dancing, but I can't. Yeah, I'm I'm not your girl for dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, no, I, I, you know, I, I like Instagram. Instagram is fun. Mm-hmm. It's cool. And, you know, you get to show, you know, show you know, some nice uh, photos. You get to practice, you know, like, you know, showing off your, your, your photo skills. And, and then with the stories and the reels. So I do like that a lot. A lot of the community that I engage with is on Instagram. I'm on, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, you know, but definitely. Instagram is kind of like my go-to just because mm-hmm. I feel like that's where I can learn a lot too. You know, there's like, you see the newest things coming up. Yeah. And it's, it's a way to kind of connect with other people. You know, I think Facebook is more personal. Try to, I try to keep it more personal on that. Every now and then I'm on Twitter. I mean, I'm, I am on Twitter, but I'm, you know, I, I don't like getting fights with strangers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should call it the taco fight and see who has the best taco. We'll just put it on Twitter and let people figure it out. I know. Oh man, they they will have, they will fight you all day on that. (laughs) So I was poking around. You have 11,000 followers on Instagram Mm -hmm. and another 11,000 on Facebook. When I looked at your number, I said, oh shit, there's a lot of people following you. But do you remember when you realized that, that people were really paying attention to your work? You know, I don't know if there's a specific time and place, but definitely early on, like when we started, you know, with a blog and all that good stuff, 
we were having some taco meetups in Austin, you know, and then people were like really getting behind it. And, you know, we do bike rides to different taco places, or we just like go pick a place and, you know, just do a, a thing. And then you could tell like, hey, people want to connect. They want to like, you know, engage with you and, you know, why not over tacos and, and make it fun? So it, it did happen early on, but, you know, I think with our, with our second book, it really kind of catapulted us to kind of a new level because it's, it was Texas wide. We traveled to 10 cities. We had a, a thing called the Texas Taco Council. And we had nominations from across the state. And so you could see there's like so many taco lovers out there mm-hmm. and taco aficionados that, yeah, it's like, it, it is, you know, it is a thing. Now you, you, you have all kinds of taco Instagrammers and all this stuff, which is, it's fine. It's great. You know, and everybody has kind of their own way of doing it. But at the core, we've always kind of stuck to like making sure that food was represented with the people and the community. Are you seeing any new trends coming out with tacos and flavor profiles and people trying to, I shouldn't say mm-hmm. trying, people creating new things because cultures are blending in different ways? Oh, yeah, I'm for sure. You know, I think whether, you know, whether it's like Filipino tacos coming through or, or Korean, uh, that Asian influence, you know, coming through the tacos. And, and then the big trends are like that we just really kind of in the last, couple of years was birria you know and beef birria very specifically the traditionally it's go- goat it's oh. a bir- birria is a stewed uh is a stewed meat and usually it's it's seen in in uh like a you know as a soup this started out of san diego into la and it's basically the red tacos that you see grizzled with cheese and then with a consomme and then you, people are dipping it and stuff and if you go, if you do a BDS search on Instagram, all you see is red tacos everywhere. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, so there's a lot of stuff like that that's happening, but then there's also like, you know, things that like, it's interesting because this is this work, this is this body of work. It's part of my culture. So it wasn't like, oh, I love tacos and blah, 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 blah. It just like, it just happened to be that. You know, I've always eaten tacos. I grew up eating, you know, all kinds of Mexican mm-hmm. food. <laughs> and, but you do see a lot of people just like rolling out on the Taco Tuesday, you know. Sorry, Kings James, you can't, you can't take that away from us. <laughs> <laughs> and, or, or, you know, like, I think, uh, what was uh, Bram McCormick? Yeah. They just hired like a taco deputy. And, you know, that's just, you know, a lot of it is, is shtick, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to see a day is when it's an everyday thing, not on a Tuesday. <laughs> like, obviously, you know, everybody says like, yeah, well, you know, tacos are everyday kind of meal. But it is still kind of like people treat it as a like a novelty thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like to get past that and just say like, OK, let's focus on why it's such a beautiful part of the culture. Are there trends in general food documentaries or food show space that you're excited about? Mm, good question. I mean, you know, besides the Squid Game. <laughs> Let me tell you, I binge watched the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a good answer for that. But what I do want to say is 
even though we've seen this, I guess, wokeness, you know, in food writing, yeah. uh, after, you know, everything that happened, like with the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen and all that, and you do, you are seeing new food writers come out and writers of color with the New York Times and, and that, but we do see also a lot of like, hey, you know, let's put a white male in front of the camera and he's going to go talk to the brown people. I'm not into that. You know, if that's a trend that needs to go down. <laughs> I understand. I'm sorry. We got to get people, people from the culture talking about the culture, not somebody else, not a transplant. It's about, you know, and because, you know, I say that, and this is one of my passion points is because, you know, like for many years, when there's a discussion around food, there's very few, I would say, Mexican sources for these stories. Mostly they go to like white chefs or writers outside of the culture. And so I just want to make sure that there's transparency there and that people acknowledge that you can talk to an abuela, you can talk to a taquero, you know, if you don't have a Spanish speaker, you need to change something, you know? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I can go on. <laughs> no, I, I, think it's, I think it's fascinating because I, and I don't know if the status is true, so I'm just gonna put it out there, that if you are bilingual and you speak English and Spanish, you can communicate with over 80% of the population on the planet. Yeah. And so, that's one of the reasons it was important for me for my kids to speak Spanish and not just speak Spanish, right? But to be bicultural as well. And so, yeah. you know, the experience of going to Mexico, what does that look like? And going to the different places and watching them play with kids who speak Spanish and sing the songs and they get the jokes in Spanish that I don't get, right? Because they're yeah, just funny yeah. in Spanish. That's what I've been told my whole life and I believe it. <laughs> So when they're so when they tell stories, it's fun to watch them tell stories and culture, and they can do it in so many different ways. And I can't do that, and nor should yeah. I do that, right? And yeah. so I think it's it becomes when we start talking about culture and the layers of it, it becomes this beautiful experience that should be shared. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we have to talk to people who are of the culture as well. That's exactly. my two cents. You know, I love, I love, I love, I love, my love passion the, point. I love, I love your pennies that you're throwing out there to me. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think it's great. I don't know if you've heard of it, the Chitlin circuit with the African-American performers mm -hmm. and Joy. I've always wanted to, there to be a Chitlin and Menudo circuit where we could talk about ah. culture. Cause I think there's some things that are very similar with oh, family completely. And, and storytelling and bullshitting, but um, yeah. there's things that are uniquely different, but how do it's just these places where I've grown up, I think it'd be fascinating. So Oh, That's completely. True. You know, you can you can drive in El Paso, get yourself some chicharrones or go to Louisiana and get get, you know, get 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 some chitlins right there on a corner spot. You know what I mean? So but just cruise it, down I-10, right? Just yeah, all the points yeah. on I-10. Exactly. And so you have, you know, a lot of commonalities that you see that that are those traditions that are that maybe, you know, we borrow from each other. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so that, that just makes total sense. I mean, going back to discada, it's that dish that we borrow from each other. You know what I mean? Well, it's so funny. So um, another nugget about myself, I was driving to the gym one morning at like five o'clock and I heard your voice on NPR. I was like, what a minute. <laughs> and so we have, we have one of those discs and I'm like, 
I didn't know, but it, now I'm like, aha, of course, of course it makes sense. But I have a question for you. Are there sure. trends out there that you want to create? What's going to be your next trend? Oh, you know, yeah, I think when, when you think about food and what people are creating and allowing space for the, those different styles to come through and the different cultures to come through, you know, because there's camps where you have like you know, people that, hey, I'm a hardcore, like minimalist, give me my $1 taco. And then there's people that appreciate a $7 or $10 taco. You know what I mean? I think there's space for both, but I would say, you know, the trends that I'm, I'm looking at is the mixing of those cultures and then mm-hmm. how we honor that. That is not just, you know, just because it's a trend or what have you, but, you know, then if we're going to do a, you know, some kind of a Filipino taco, then let's honor the tortilla and how it's made, but also how the pork is prepared, you know? Mm. And, you know, and then there's a lot of like Tex-Mex places that have popped up in the last years. And you see that, you see that people honor the the roots of African-American barbecue mixed in with, you know, the the Mexican backyard cook. So it's not one thing, it's you see the cultures, Mm -hmm. you know, you taste the cultures. Mm. And if people can get there, then man, I've, maybe I've done my job. <laughs> so what's next? Yeah, what's next for you? There's definitely always a next. Uh, I love it. Well, right now, you know, if you want to watch any of our shows, you can go to identity.productions or you can also follow Laredo Taco Company. We have a new series with them called Made Right Here that we travel to six cities across Texas. What's next for me is I, I, I want to make sure I, I want to pitch networks. I want to put people of color in front of the camera and on the producing side as well. People like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that people definitely stick to their guns and, and, and want that approach and that inclusivity. So for me, it's all about getting those voices right there in front of the camera and allowing people to tell their own stories. So first and foremost, at our core, Sanders Wingo is an advertising agency, but we, you know, we want to always support people and companies and brands that we love. Mm -hmm. And so are there any organizations or brands that you would love to partner with or for us to support causes you care about beyond, and and I do want you to talk about new philanthropists again, but what's out of it that we can, that we can support you and support things that you love as well? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, at the basic, at the core, you know, you know, shop at, shop at your local taqueria, you know, <laughs> give them your money, you know, and they'll give you some good tacos. So at the core, right. But then definitely for cause worthy, the new philanthropist, you know, I'm biased because I'm a co-founder, <laughs> but we're doing some amazing work, you know, in that space and it's much needed and having some, you know, just some hard conversations, but, you know, mm-hmm. making sure we have good, good folks in line there, but, you know, working with brands, we want to, we want to do more commercial work. So we're always looking to, you know, we want to bring kind of the realness. Notice I am avoiding the word authenticity. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we want to bring more realness and grittiness to maybe more of like alcohol brands and things like that, you know? that would really get behind and, and really like some food brands that want to get into people's backyards. And it's not mm-hmm. just like, oh, I'm a chef and I'm going to cook 
on this nice picnic table type of approach. Yeah, tell me a little bit about authenticity and realness. Well, you know, authenticity is just a buzzword these days. And so, yes, and, you know, and then authenticity, the word is used for and against people, you know, oh, that's not authentic or, you know, what have you. So it's just, it's just um, a loaded word. And so for me, it's about real people connecting with real people and being and having honest conversations. Mm-hmm. And by honest conversations is also about questioning people and what they do, what they do, you know, and, you know, keeping it real, even if it goes bad. <laughs> yeah, I think it, this moment of so much change, I think keeping it real is on point and then people need to get comfortable with they're going to make mistakes and that's okay yeah. if they make a mistake. It's okay if they make those mistakes and we learn through them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, and I love that people want to explore culture, but I, I agree with you. They have to do it in a real honest way, not an authentic way because right. authentic loses translation of culture. Who are you following right now? Who are some of the people you're following or companies that you're following? Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see. I'm actually following a lot of like content creators of color. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a Tejana group uh, on Instagram, Chelsea. Uh, Hernandez, you know, she's awesome. I follow Paulina. My, my mm-hmm. <laughs> Paulina I like Atiada. her too. Paulina Atiada with uh, the new philanthropist, obviously. <laughs> Definitely groups and funders that are interested in this conversation. What's the name of it? Yeah, they're called uh, This Is 150. And they're out of like Time Warner Media. And it looks like they're just really bringing in uh, creators of color kind of to the forefront. And so I like them a lot. My last question, where can we follow you on social media? Yes, you can follow Identity Productions on Instagram, identity.productions or United Tacos of America. If you Google that, you'll find us. <laughs> okay. And my very last question is, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would want people to know? You know, put yourself out there. It's okay to make mistakes. Try something new, try a different approach. You know, we're always looking to partner, whether it's with other agencies or uh, content creators of color that we can support, you know, and create something new and exciting. Of course. Uh, And what people can't see is your tacos hat. So we want to make sure people can support that as well. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Mondo, for being here and taking the time to share a little bit of your world with us. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to The Follow, a multicultural podcast from creative agency Sanders Wingo. For show notes, past episodes, or to get notified when a new episode comes out, visit thefollowpodcast.com. And if you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. It boosts the show's visibility so other people can find and enjoy it as well. Until next time, take care.